You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Good evening. Welcome to Love Logical DNA Not Required. This is Michelle L. Anderson coming to you live from Podcast Detroit Royal Oak Studios. We are looking forward to intriguing and entertaining you every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Let me start today's show by saying thank you for joining our family, which is biological by nature, love logical by choice, DNA not required. Good evening, good ne- good evening, everyone. This is Michelle Anderson coming to you live from Podcast Detroit Royal Oak Studios with my co-host, Delon Kennedy. Hey, hey, hey. We have been just given the best opportunity um, to bring to you tonight live um, Brandon Michael Higgins and from giving Joshua a chance. And Brandon lives in Indianapolis, and I had the opportunity to meet him through Miss Samantha Pounds, which everyone in, in Indianapolis knows who Samantha is. And just Brandon's story just made me say, okay, I have to have him on my podcast. And we've been planning this for a while. So, Brandon, welcome, 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 and thank you. Thank you so much, Michelle. Um, I just first and foremost want to thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, And, again, uh, looking forward to this dialogue and, you know, collaborating with you now and also in the future. Yes, I'm telling you, um, your story is just absolutely amazing because you are love logical to the core. You really are. You have a love logical heart. And for those of you who are not familiar with love logical, it's love logical, biological by nature, love logical by choice, DNA not required. We celebrate the non-biological within you and your businesses. So not only are you love logical through foster, adoption, and your extended family is huge, but you also have a love logical business, giving Joshua a chance that made me cry when I read the story. Tell us a little bit about um, yourself before we get into giving Joshua a chance. Tell us how you became you. Yes, ma'am. Um, so a big part of me uh, started with foster care. That's a big part of my identity. And um, as many of those who do know me, uh, I identify as being biracial. And okay. so my biological mother's uh, white. My father's black. And so kind of how my journey started uh, with my identity is, you know, identifying as being biracial. And, um, you know, going back to foster care. So I didn't have the easiest life growing up. And a part of that through the struggle made me who I am. And for that, you know, I'm very, very much grateful. A lot of people say, you know, Brandon, you're often happy. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I usually don't take, uh, you know, people to feel sorry for me or people who, you know, are always like, you know, you should be mad at the world when I really shouldn't. I'm, I'm grateful for my circumstance. Uh, I wouldn't do it again, uh, but I'm most definitely grateful for So I always like to start off as identifying my my struggle as a big part of my identity. And so um, I'm originally from Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, I've actually just moved back uh, at the end of summer 2017. I actually uh, was working on a fellowship and doing some research in Africa 
Uh, so I was working on my PhD for about a year at the University of Minnesota. Uh, prior to that, I finished my master's in social work at the University of Arkansas. And, um, you know, social work for me uh, gives me the opportunity to give back to the community in which, you know, I'm a big, uh, I'm a part of, and that is the foster youth uh, system. As, a, as an alumni, I feel like it's my duty to give back to this community, and that's, you know, kind of where giving Joshua a chance came from, um, as well as my little brother Joshua, um, from where this all started. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my motivation. You know, I wake up every day, you know, I, I talk to him you know, through spirit, and, you know, he's the one who motivates me. Wow. That's amazing. Wow. Now, you know, I know that you're saying that, you know, your identity basically started in foster care. Can you, are you okay to tell us how you ended up within the fostering system? Because I know you were like eight, nine years old. Yes. Um, so I started off, um, you know, my mother, uh, you know, she was on drugs, uh, single parent. No, my mom, I, you know, I also want to start this. I didn't learn until I was like a junior in college, kind of the struggles my mom went through. Okay. And so she had me when she was 16. I was actually born in foster care. And um, so my mom was in foster care when she had me because uh, my biological family uh, extremely racist. And so they were upset with my mom for having a black kid. And so mm-hmm. she was in foster care at the time when she had me. And so, you know, I, I mm-hmm. reflect back on that. I was like, wow, essentially I was born in the foster care. And um, so my mom was, you know, she struggled with drugs. Uh, she was abused when she was younger. And so, you know, reflecting back on that, I see why she made a lot of the decisions she did. And so, you know, I will never forget the first day of fifth grade. Um, at this time, we were, my mom had been gone for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And we were staying with my biological grandma. And that's her mom. And so, you know, my grandma, she wasn't a fan of us. Um, more so, she didn't want to take care of us. So she called CPS and told them to come get us. And that's kind of, you know, I remember that discussion with the CPS worker and was like, you know, I remember seeing some white stuff on the table. Mm-hmm. And for the longest, I struggled with that because I felt responsible for, you know, my brother not being in foster care because I felt like, you know, I told them, like, my mom was doing drugs. And it, essentially, that's what led us on top of the neglect. Wow. Okay. And... How how old were you and how, how old was your brother? I know you say eight or nine. How much younger is Joshua than you are? Uh, so Joshua's about a year and three months. Yep, a year and three months. So very um, close so I was born in age. February 11th. Yeah, yeah, we're fairly close. Uh, I was born in February 11th, 1990. Mm-hmm. He was born uh, November 12th, 1991. Um, so, yeah, it's it's not too far off. So when your when your mother aged out of the foster care system and she was a little bit older and you went to go and live with her, life then was pretty much so a struggle, even at home. And then you went into the foster care system. Did things in the beginning did they get a little bit easier for you, or was it automatically just a continual struggle even once you got into the system? Uh, so for me, the system, uh, you know, one would think. Uh, that it would get easier. And so, again, going back to my identity, mm-hmm. growing up, I was surrounded by all white people. And mm-hmm. so that's all I knew. I was this brown-skinned kid, and I'm like, all I knew was white people. So my first foster family was African-American. And, you know, we go from, you know, uh, really not 
doing much. We lived in poverty. I mean, we still stayed in poverty. Um, but now, it's, you know, I'm drinking Kool-Aid. I'm eating chitlins. I'm like, what is this? I had no clue. <laughs> they're looking at me like, what? I'm like, what is this? And so to me, I struggled a lot because I felt that I didn't belong. Mm-hmm. And also um, in my first placement, uh, we were abused um, physically. Uh, I was personally, uh, I was sexually abused. Uh, by my mm. foster brother. So to me, this was, you know, something I struggled with with the longest. You know, I probably just a few years ago came out and, you know, shared that I was sexually abused because, you know, I didn't want to, I was ashamed of what happened. You know, I took blame for what happened and I never spoke up. And so uh, once my brother passed, Joshua, I told myself from that point on, like, you know, I'm no longer going to be quiet. I'm going to advocate. I'm going to speak up. I'm going to speak my truth. And so a part of that, you know, my abuse is my truth. And so, yes. you know, this was a, a very hard placement. It's a new transition. Uh, all this abuse is going on. And it, it was a really big change. And I struggled for a, a long time. Wow. So your first placement was with the um, African-American family. And, you know, you said it's the first time, you know, as far as chitlins and everything else. I think that all of us at some point in time had to find out, like, what are chitlins? And then it's like, oh, but then it's like, mm, and then again, you get older and it's like, oh, again. (laughs) Yeah, chitlins can confuse a lot of us. So how many homes were you in before you were adopted? Uh, officially, I was in three foster homes. Um, throughout that time, we were in multiple respite homes. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was first with uh, my first family. And then, um, so once we switched schools, I was in fifth grade at the time. And so my fifth grade teacher actually got us um, my second half of sixth grade. And then after that, uh, we spent uh, another time with my, what would be my adopted family. That was our third home. But in between each of those homes, Oh, we spent some time in uh, different respite homes. Can you explain to the audience what a respite home is, please? Yeah, so a respite home is uh, a temporary foster placement. And so these are more so very, very short terms, such as maybe a couple of days or like a week or two. And uh, the reasons we spent time in respite is because uh, our caseworkers, along with our foster homes, more so the transition from our first home to the second home, and a couple times within our second home, which was my fifth grade teacher, uh, we were placed in the different respite homes. Okay. How did that affect you emotionally, like going from home to home? Uh, reflecting back on it, uh, it was very traumatic. Um, and so I tell a lot of people, you know, they're like, wow, you're really successful. I'm like, yeah, that's because of hard work, uh, you know. I was behind educationally, so I really didn't care. I know fifth grade, I was suspended um, like six, seven, eight, nine times. I had about 17 referrals. Um, There's one time I got a referral um, for being in trouble, and then I forged my foster mom's signature, took it back and got another referral. Then I got suspended for a couple of days. And so I struggled a lot um, behaviorally. I was you know, getting in fights all the time, and I honestly, without – my fifth grade teacher helping out. I had, I mean, these, as I honestly shouldn't have moved on to sixth grade, but, you know, and, you know, we'll talk about that later, but I feel like mm-hmm. at that point in time, that really motivated me and kind of changed my perspective about uh, the people who were supporting me. But I, it was rough for me. And I, I mean, I acted out, I feel like as any kid would who, 
who is not able to um, to kind of communicate that. Yeah, I know that I can imagine that it's hard to verbalize. Um, my parents, we had foster children in our home as well. And I was very, I'm very blessed to be able to say that, you know, we had a love logical home. Did you have, um, a home that you would have deemed as love logical, um, fostering parents as opposed to, um, just foster parents where you knew that they truly loved you? Did you have that? Um, I would say my fifth grade teacher, mm-hmm. um, at least reflecting back then, um, she was Caucasian along with her husband, mm-hmm. Tom. And, you know, at this point, um, I was, what, 11, 12 years old. I finally, this was my first time having my own bed, uh, my own room. And oh, wow. they kind of showed me, I was with, you know, they had access to resources. Um, you know, having, I had a pet guinea pig for the first time. And I was able to learn new languages. And I had a tutor fund. And so I'm seeing all the all these things that, wow, this is, is really cool. But on top of that, reflecting back on it, her son was the only white kid on the at the rec center. You know, he played with all black kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she she looked at and she supported our our culture at this point. You know, a lot of um white parents who adopt or who foster children of color necessarily don't do that. And so Looking back on it, I do appreciate her for doing that because, you know, she exposed us to new, um, to new uh, adventures, for lack of a better term, and to uh, new things. But she also took in consideration our culture and how we identify. And, uh, you know, I truly appreciate her for that. So she truly instilled education within you. Oh, very much so. And, you know, I, I feel like, Looking back on that, that's what really pushed me to go to college. Um, because I, when I got with my, uh, what would be adopted family, you know, college for me really wasn't important. Mm-hmm. I didn't think about it. I was more in tune with sports. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's amazing that your fifth grade teacher became your love logical foster mom. And she instilled so much within you. So she truly helped to build the character. Yeah. That is a part of you today. Yeah. Very much so. And there were also, I mean, there was a lot of behavior there. Um, but there was one situation that stood out uh, that I didn't agree with. And, you know, we still, we talked to, you know, she's basically like family. You know, I spent time with her and her family over the okay. holidays. Uh, but I was, I was hospitalized for my anger. Uh, I was 13 years old. Well, I was 12. And so I spent my 13th birthday in the hospital. Um, and so there's a situation, you know, I want to tell people, they're like, wow, you were crazy. I'm like, no, I really wasn't. And so, uh, I would often get mad and throw things. So I was in the van with her and she was driving. And so she, she's a teacher. She kept snacks. Mm -hmm. And so she said something that rubbed me the wrong way. I took the applesauce, I threw it on the ground and it bounced up and went into her driver's seat. And she freaked out. She's like, they're trying to kill me. Oh my God. Blah, blah, blah. And so after anger outbursts, I would get really sleepy. And so I woke up and, you know, she took me to Taco Bell. I was really excited. Like, ooh, I finally get to eat. And then she took me to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this was a disagreement she had with our caseworkers because prior to this, Josh, uh, he was also hospitalized. And I feel like um, culturally, again, reflecting on that, uh, 
you know, as a, a Caucasian woman, she maybe felt like, you know, this was the help we really needed. And I tell her to this day, you know, she's like, that that decision I made changed your life. Mm-hmm. And I said, I disagree because the only reason I didn't go back to the hospital is because I didn't like it. Okay. And to be institutionalized was literally the worst feeling, especially spending my birthday in there. And so I, I, I met, I learned a few coping skills, but I made that uh, decision from that point on that I'm going to change my life. And, you know, I do appreciate her for that, I guess, um, because from that point on, I, I kind of changed my attitude and, you know, move forward with a, a new attitude. Do you think that your attitude um, would have changed even had you not gone? Because if she's saying that I think I saved your life, but you're saying, well, not really. So, but do you really, when you think back on that, do you think that being there, learning those coping skills, even though I know no 13-year-old wants to be in the hospital for their birthday, but had you not learned those coping skills, would you have continued to make it through your teens in a positive way? I believe so. Um, and you know, at this point, uh, reflecting back on my notes, mm-hmm. uh, so I was able to reach out to my adoptive agency and get some of the notes. Like I was, I was on a, a good path. Um, okay. You know, making good grades, I was finally caught up. And we were in a township school um, compared to, like, a public school. Mm-hmm. And so I, again, had access to more resources, and I was taking advantage of those. Um, but I, I feel like I was on a good path. But, you know, again, I, I, I'm a true believer that everything happens for a reason. So that could have been just a part of uh, my path and my purpose. That's my personal mantra. I say it at least once a day that everything happens for a reason. And I truly feel that way as well. Now, how old were you, um, Brandon, when you were adopted? And so um, I was adopted at the age of 13. And so I want to say August of 2002. And so I was in eighth grade. I recently started eighth grade. And I, you know, again, going through my notes and I realized at the time that, you know, we wrote a letter to our judge that because we were taken out of our fifth grade teacher's house and then placed with our adopted family. And so, you know, the the narrative, at least from my fifth grade teacher's standpoint, was they took you out of our home because they felt like we as white parents were not fit to raise two African-American males. And okay. so from that point, you know, the age of 12 to the age of 24, when I found out the truth, uh, this was the narrative. Mm-hmm. And so the truth uh, was that uh, my adopted or my foster dad at the time stated that uh, they didn't want to adopt my little brother. They wanted to adopt me. And so with them, mm-hmm. you know, with us being siblings, they wanted to keep us together. And so they moved us to my adoptive placement. It was kind of weird, though. And this is kind of where I struggle because my adopted dad was my caseworker at the time. And... So he got us and he kind of took us to meet his wife and kind of showed us like, oh, you know, do you like these boys? Turns out she did. And so a week later, we were in foster care with them and then spent about a year and then we were adopted. Okay. So it's almost like he he just he removed you based on personal reasons. More so than anything else, because isn't that unusual for a caseworker? To oh, become a so. foster parent, to become your um, adoptive, adoptive parents. Parent. Exactly. And so 
do my personal research once my my little brother passed away mm-hmm. um because as Josh sat in the hospital you know dying you know from a, a gunshot wound um, a self-inflicted gunshot wound he came up to the hospital and you know I told him I was like you gave my little brother up um you, you can't see him and so come to find out that uh you know they they weren't supposed to. I contacted our adopted agent, our adoptive agency, and mm-hmm. like, hey, what is your policy about your workers adopting? And uh, they were like, oh yeah, we know him, but his dad was also, um, I guess, listed as a foster parent. So they're like, oh, we thought you were in foster care with dad. I was like, no, because they have the same name. Mm-hmm. One is the third, and one is the second, and so or junior, and so. We were like, no, so how did this, you know, slip under your agency? And so I, you know, again, once I graduated with my degree in social work, I reached out to the agency. I was, I wanted to work at the agency. They wouldn't uh, return my calls. They wouldn't return my emails. And the same CEO who was in there, I guess, well, during the time of our adoption, still works for the agency. They're like, oh, we're going to have her reach out to you. Never returns any of my emails, calls, or anything. And so, you know, I struggle with this because I'm like, how did this happen and essentially cause, you know, the situation with my little brother? Well, they, if they knew the situation, that may be why they um, didn't call you back out of fear of, you know, illegal, yeah, yeah, a legal suit. But when when you and when you and Joshua went to go and live with them at 12 and 13 and the wife liked the two of you, could you share with the audience how it ended up you two being separated and you being the only one being raised within the home? Yes. Uh, So with that, you know, again, at this point, um, I was more, I was really quiet and, you know, I've kind of grown out of those behaviors of acting out. You know, I was just like, it's more of a survival tactic. You know, if I shut up and, you know, just keep my mouth closed, and be quiet, you know, I'll, I'll be 18 in a couple of years. I'll, I'll be okay after that. Josh, again, this is another traumatic transition. You know, he struggled with anger with both of um, mm-hmm. And he, he was more, uh, you know, he was more combative. You know, he's like, whatever. Yeah. You know, when we first got, when we were in foster care with him, they're like, you call us mom and dad. We're like, whoa, what? Because, you know, I call my fifth grade teacher Miss Embry for the army. Right. I'm like, they never forced us to call her mom, dad. Who are you guys? And it was more like a power struggle with them. You know, I there are situations they had a baby, and I'm like, this is new. They're like, you have to change the baby's diaper and do all this stuff. And I'm like, whoa, this is new. And so it was more of like, you call us mom, dad. You do this, and you know, we struggled with that. We were we felt like we were treated as stepchildren, and so. This situation in which I will never forget this day. So uh, we were together. My little brother was over my cousin's house. And so we went to go pick up Josh. Um, anyone that knew Josh knew that he moved extremely slow, like a sloth. I mean, mm-hmm. he would just move, take his time. And so we had pulled up to my cousin's driving. We're like, come on, Josh, come on. And he was moving slow. I mean, him and my cousins were walking up. And, you know, they continued to like Josh, Josh. He said, you know, I'm coming to B-Word. He called my adopted mom B-Word. And, you know, they were like, whoa. So my adopted dad, mind you, Josh is 12 at the time. Mm-hmm. And so we were, you know, we were with them probably about a year. Um, yeah, about a year at this point. 
And, uh, you know, he's 250. I mean, he's a pretty big dude. He jumped on Josh. You know, he's wrestling him. You know, he offended his wife. And so I'm trying to get him off. Um, they pushed me off. They called the cops. And so they have Josh arrested. And he's like, oh, he attacked my wife. He attacked me. And, you know, the whole time I'm, like, freaking out. Like, wow, this did not just happen. And this is a 13-year-old child, actually. He was 13 at the time. Right. Right. And so I'm like, whoa, like, what's going on? I mean, my my little brother's eight, and, you know, he's in eighth grade. I'm like, what what kind of harm is he going to do? You know, this is not what happened. Mm -hmm. Had him locked up. So from that point, Josh was locked up. You know, for, I didn't, he got out, I think, my junior year of high school. And so going back to the really? hospital, uh, it turns out that they gave up their rights when Josh was locked up. So Joshua, so, he was in juvenile from, from that t- that entire time? Yes, ma'am. Uh, juvenile boys school. Um, yeah. And turns out they could have got him a probation officer because my biological uncle ended up getting Josh. And so we stayed in contact with him. You know, very sneakily, because my adoptive parents didn't want us to stay in contact with my bio parents, my bio family. And so they cut us off of everybody. Uh, I would tell people I'm biracial. They're like, no, you're not. You're black. And, you know, I'm like, I'm, and that's the issue. I think because I was older, I had a a better sense of my identity. I knew what happened. I knew what was going on. And they tried to control me. And, you know, with me as being, you know, quiet, that was safe for me. But Josh... He couldn't get past it. He was very, you know, he spoke up for himself. And, you know, unfortunately, that's what led him to be in the situation he was. Hmm. So you you kept your head down and he was the one who who wanted to wanted to have his own identity. He's more assertive. He's more assertive. Right. Wow. That's absolutely amazing. Like, I, I. I'm so sorry you went through that situation. When you were you were saying that when you were in the hospital. At 13, that Joshua was in the hospital, too. Was he in the hospital yep, for the Josh. same reason? Yep, anger. And so they, they felt that treating us, you know, through these, these tactics would, would help us. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they did, you know, honestly. Were you in the hospital together? Not together. Uh, probably a couple months apart. Okay, okay. Because I was thinking it was at the same time mm-hmm. as well. So that's... Wow. So as he's taken away, he goes into the juvenile justice system, basically, for doing something that he didn't do. Well, you know, for something that he didn't really do. He called her out of her name, but he never physically attacked anyone. No, ma'am. But he had no one to fight for him. So no one fought for him at all. Is that what you're saying? I'm, that's exactly what I'm saying. And so, you know, when I asked, I would ask about Josh. They were like, oh, you know, he's fine. Um, he's doing good. Um, whole time, they, they, I mean, literally, his probation officer was trying to reach out letters, um, you know, phone calls. They never responded. They gave up their rights to a 13-year-old boy and left him in the system. And that's exactly what happened. He became institutionalized. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. this was now his family, you know, the thugs. Um, you know, individuals who were engaging in crime. And again, you know, the statistics, the research now, I understand why Josh took the route he did. This is all he had um, because everything else that was supposed to be a protective factor 
ended up turning its back against them and, you know, left this, this young kid to fend for himself. That just probably helped rage grow within him. Yeah. Because he felt totally unwanted. Abandoned. Yeah. Very much so. That's just it that it it hurts my heart, you know, and yeah. so when he came out at seventeen and he went to go live with your biological uncle, um did your uncle kind of embrace him and and try to help make things a little better, more positive in his life, or introduce him to therapy or anything like that? um he tried to, and okay. so with my bio uncle um mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's homosexual. Mm-hmm. And so Josh didn't agree with that lifestyle. You know what I mean? And yeah. so uh, along with my biological family, I mean, I was the first person from my bio family to graduate high school. And so we're coming from individuals who aren't well-educated, uh, who don't look at therapy because they didn't have access to therapy. And so what they did, and I love my uncle for this, he mm-hmm. did his best to, to look out for Josh and to support Josh. Um, but Josh struggled, you know, he's been locked up so long. This is when technology starting to boom, mm-hmm. um, you know, things are new and he's freaking out just as any person would coming back out to the world. And, you know, I'm, my uncle sharing with me, Josh is still protecting his food, you know, putting his hands around his plate. I'm eating really fast. Like he's, you know, still in prison and, um, or still in juvenile. And, you know, my little brother, the, the kids he was hanging around, my uncle at the time still lived in the hood. And so Josh still had direct access to um, all those negative things that he would mm-hmm. as, in, you know, in juvenile. Wow. So, so he continued the same behaviors and everything. How long did Josh live with your uncle? Um, uh, Maybe a year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and so during that time, uh, Josh uh, then got put into prison uh, due to um, armed robbery uh, with some of his friends. Did we lose you? Oh, no, ma'am. Okay. Did you? Also, oh, yeah, during that time, he uh, he got a case or he caught a case with armed robbery uh, with some of his friends. Mm-hmm. So he continued to spiral and in search of himself. How was your relationship with Josh during this time? Did he pull away from you being that you were in college and you were moving forward in a positive yeah. way? How did he react towards you? Um, so during this time, uh, I was able to see Josh a few times before I transitioned to college. And so once I was in college, you know, I told him, he told me all the time, he would tell people he was so proud of me for, you know, making it to college and, you know, I'll never forget the, the letters that we wrote. I still have all the letters Josh wrote me um, while he was locked up. Wow. And, you know, he would, he would struggle. Um, he felt that, you know, there were times that I couldn't respond in a timely memory because I had, you know, term papers. I had research papers. I, you know, I had a lot of stuff going on. And, you know, I'm a first-generation college student. Mm-hmm. This is new to me. My adoptive mom went to college for a couple of years. Um, but that was so long ago. So I really, this was a new experience I was experiencing by myself and I didn't really have that support. And so, you know, Josh felt, he's like, you know, he was, there were times he told me, you know, I feel like you don't, you don't really love me. Uh, you, you're not here for me. And I struggled with that, but I always told Josh, like, you're the reason I'm where I am now is because you push me. I look at you as being, you know, the strongest, 
And, you know, I respect you for, you know, standing up and speaking up for things you believe in. And I, I respect you, Josh. He didn't understand everything that it took for you to make it day by day while in college. I want to back up a minute to um, your being a teenager between um, your 14 to 18, because while Josh was institutionalized between 13 and 17, how was your life at that time with your foster parents? I know, I mean, with your adopted parents, I know they were telling you that he was okay, but were they treating you well during that time? Um, looking back on that, uh, you know, I was treated like a kid, you know, I, I had to share a room with my five-year-old brother, you know, I'm in high school at this time and, you know, I had to ask, you know, when I got older, when I started driving, if I could drive the car and, you know, I would have to bargain. Uh, so they had horses and so he was like, go clean the horses dog. Um, then I'll let you borrow my car. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had to do all the chores. Um, I had a younger sister, a younger brother. They never had to do anything. And, you know, there were times, uh, you know, I struggled a lot uh, because I would try to speak up for myself or I'm like, hey, can I do this? Um, Can I do that? And it was a lot of bargaining or, you know, me having to to kind of put my head down and just, you know, shuffle forward. And, you know, there's a situation I'll never forget. Uh, I was a senior in high school and I wrestled. And I was going to pick up my friend Ishmael uh, for wrestling practice. The whole time, my adopted dad is, like, trailing me in his truck. And, you know, I pull up to Ishmael's house, um, pick up Ishmael, and uh, we're pulling off, and he cuts me off. And he's like, you know, and excuse my French, he's like, you know, take my effing car back home. Uh, what are you doing? And I'm like, you clearly see Ishmael's in the car. Like, I picked him up for, he's like, you didn't tell me. And I'm like, uh, first of all, I'm 18. Why do I need to tell you? And, you know, these types of things had continued. And it wasn't until that time I was like, wow, you know, how short of a leech am I really on? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I I really felt like I was treated like a, a stepchild. And I felt like I had to prove myself um, to my adoptive parents. All the and, time. You know, that's yeah. for me. Yeah, all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, even moving into college. Have wow. you have you talked to them like about this since like how you felt? Um, so there was a after finding out what happened to Josh, um, you know, I cut them off entirely. And so there was a after though I, I text my adopted mom and again I, I asked her, I said, Why would you adopt us? Um, if that that's what you were gonna do to Josh. And all she could tell me was, Well, maybe we weren't the parents for you. And, you know, I was like, wow. How, 14 how, years later. I, 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 I'm, I'm shocked. I, I, I'm, I'm literally shocked right. to hear, yeah. hear that. Literally. And I was like, wow, that that's all you can tell me? And I, I, I literally had nothing else to do. And so when I started sharing my story, um, you know, people at the church, he was, uh, you know, he was a preacher. Um, he then moved on to start his new church. And people were like, wow, we had no clue that this family was like that. And I'm like, you know, we were trying to tell you guys, you know, expose you to the truth. And, you know, after all these years, after this stuff happened to Josh, I, I had that platform to, to speak up and, you know, to advocate on behalf of this, because I know we're not the only kids 
um, that have gone through stuff like this. But this is, I mean, this was our reality. And for me, you know, after she said that, I I had to look at, at the the situation uh, holistically and just say, wow, it, you know, everything makes sense now. Wow, it 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 hurts my heart to to hear this. Um, her response just. I have to get past that right now yeah. because that, that kind of threw me for a loop that maybe we just weren't the right parents for you. That's just not, um, that's not a loving response or a person who has raised a child, um, has their own and have their own to say something like that. So I want to apologize on behalf of her because that's just. I'm truly a mom. I'm I'm a very nurturing person, and that just that threw me for a loop. You gotta give me a second here. Yeah. Um. So, you how how did it get to a point to where Joshua took his life? You know, because you were you were moving forward with college and everything, and you're still trying to let him know that he's loved by you. Um, and I'm sure that your uncle, from what you shared, you know, with your uncle, that he was also there um, as he could be. So how did Joshua get to a point to where he made that decision? Do you know? Um, I do. So um, fortunately, after college, I graduated um, from undergrad in 2013. And, you know, at this time, Josh was back in Indy. And so for actually, uh, my fifth grade teacher sent me and her, her son, Nick, uh, to South America as a graduation because he graduated with his master's and me and my bachelor's. And so once we got back from South America, and I had an opportunity to spend time with Josh, you know, he, at this point he was out, he was working, um, he was working under the table, you know, he had a couple felonies. And so work was hard for him, but, you know, he found her, he found work. Um, you know, he was, uh, working at this, uh, it was uh, this factory. It was kind of, it was kind of sketch, but he was folding linen. And, you know, this is something anyone who knew Josh, you know, like, oh, Josh, come on, you're lazy. Um, you know, and Josh was working hard. So to see him in this, I don't know, the environment was weird for me, but he would wake up, no excuses. He would take the bus. Um, he hated asking me for help, but I, there were times I would, you know, take him, um, to the bus stop. So at this time, I was actually uh, staying with Miss Embry mm-hmm. um, when I got out of college. And, you know, he would come over there. We would spend time together, catch up. And so Josh and I were spending a lot of time together. Um, throughout this, he he got a girlfriend. And so uh, she had a baby. She had a baby girl. And, you know, he took on this father role. And just to see my little brother in that, in that um, fashion was like, wow. You know, he's growing up. And so there was, uh, again, so I'm, I'm in a fraternity. I'm in a uh, Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated. You had to and get so, a shout-out, didn't you? <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> but uh, so we were at uh, this this gathering, and, you know, Josh, again, never had that exposure to that. And so, uh, you know, we went to a party, and Josh, you know, out of all years, I've never seen him break down like this. And, you know, he hugged me. He was crying. And he said, you know, I have a baby boy on the way. I'm like, wow, what? Oh. I'm, about to be a, I'm about to be an uncle. So, you know, throughout this time, Josh is 
help him take care of his girlfriend. Um, he has his own family now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here comes baby Joshua. And, you know, there's a, a during this time, though, uh, my little brother, so we grew up um, watching our mom being abused by our stepdad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we told each other, like, we would never engage in that. We would never do that. And unfortunately, this was an aspect that was lost of, you know, kind of the story. So Josh, Josh's girlfriend, um, you know, she would cut off his clothes. Um, so there were times I would have to take him to the store room, the Walmart, to grab some dinky pants um, for work because, you know, a lot of his clothes were being ripped up. They were getting in arguments. And so about a week before um, everything happened, uh, I was getting ready for graduate school. Uh, I was leaving in Arkansas, leaving for Arkansas. And I told Josh, I was like, man, you know, you, you really need to leave. Just come here to Miss Embry's, like, we'll get you out of the situation. You know, we'll find a way that, you know, you got some co-parent. And so the day of my, my open house, uh, you know, August 9th, 2014 would be the last day, you know, I, I see Josh. And so after my open house, uh, Miss Henry had bought tickets to the Wayne versus Drake concert. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to Josh, his girlfriend. And, you know, my mom, my biological mom at the time was uh, staying in Florida. She actually flew down which was crazy uh, for the open house, although she didn't actually, in, you know, intend the open house. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was down there. So what happened was Josh and his girlfriend went to the concert. They were drinking. And so on the way back, ended up getting into an argument. And so throughout the altercation, it was, it was physical. Um, it went to the house. Uh, it continued to escalate it. And so throughout the argument, Josh ended up shooting his girlfriend, and this is when the police pulled up, and so he shot her. Um, she died on the scene, and you know the police shot Josh ran to the back and then shot himself, and so Josh didn't die instantly. He uh, he went to the hospital, and so that that next morning, I was in church. My cousin my cousin Sean is a pastor, and I was sitting in church. Not that day, I chose to join church, um, join his church. I had this weird feeling the, the entire service. And so I literally, um, as soon as church was over, I got a call from my uncle. And he's like, Brandon, it's all over the news. You know, uh, Josh's girlfriend is dead. And I'm like, what is going on? And so, you know, I go to, you know, I fly down the street to uh, Josh's uh, apartment. And, I mean, there's bullet holes everywhere. His apartment is cleaned out. Uh there's no, like, yellow tape or anything. This happened at, like, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, bullet holes, there's blood on the walls, and I'm freaking out. Like, where's my little brother? Um, so I call up to Eskenazi um, Hospital, and um, this is a fairly new hospital, uh, and it's, it's really weird because I now work there as a medical social worker. And, um, you know, reflecting back on that, it you know, how how everything worked out. I now work at the place my, my little brother took his last breath. And, you know, here he is, like, struggling and, you know, just to breathe and, you know, just to function. You know, the doctors initially was like, you know, he has a good chance of recovering. You know, there could be some developmental issues that come with this. But, you know, there there was hope. And I'm this happened on Sunday. So from Sunday through Thursday, um, where I, I was leaving for Arkansas. I was in the hospital with him. 
And, you know, I didn't eat much. I didn't sleep. And so, you know, when I left for Arkansas, I was like, okay, you know, I'm just, I'm going to leave it up to, you know, whatever's in the universe, you know, whatever is supposed to happen is going to happen. And so I, I left and went to graduate school. And so I was starting, you know, again, checking in because at this point, my doctor's family gave up their rights. My biological mom's rights were terminated. So mm-hmm. I was the one who was in charge of making decisions. And so right before I was headed to orientation to start my master's, you know, the doctor called and said, he's not going to make it. What would you like to do? And so at the age of 24, I literally had to make the, the hardest decision of my life. And that was the pull the plug on Josh. I, I understand. I've had to make that decision in my life. So I do know that that's a very hard decision to make. And the fact of you having to make it at such a, a such a young age, I can't even, I can't even imagine. And who did you have there to help support you through, um, were you alone? You weren't, were you alone when you made the decision? Um, I was um, literally um, never forget. I, you know, answered the the phone from the doctor. I was in my room, and I was literally about to walk out the door. So I I made the decision and just walked out. I didn't I didn't cry. I, I was in shock. I was like, wow, um, wow. And so uh, during this transition, um, you know, my mentor, who you know turned out to be one of the the best supports of my life, a doctor Valandra. Uh, she was my, uh, my, well, she is my mentor. I look at her as a, a, a mother figure as well. Mm-hmm. And so she's, uh, she was a professor at the University of Arkansas who I did my graduate assistantship with. And, you know, I was able to lean on her for support, but I, I moved to Arkansas not knowing anyone. I was there by myself. And, you know, all I could do is, you know, at the time call my, my girlfriend, uh, my family, and, you know, kind of work through it that way. What made you decide to um, develop an organization like giving Joshua a chance? Because I, I know what makes you good at it, but I'd mm-hmm. like to know what makes you what made you make that decision to to start the the organization. Um, and so, you know, when I tell people that story about Josh, and you know, the first thing, even going back to the comments of when the news covered the stories like, oh, he's such a monster. You know, he's a, he's a loser. He's a, he's a coward for shooting her. You know, I, I didn't want Josh's legacy to be lost in that. You know, I, I knew my little brother um, and, you know, a big part of social work, especially working with people who are vulnerable, you know, people who may be homeless, people who struggle with drug addiction is they look at that situation. They don't look at the historical um, significance of why they now make the decisions that they do. And so I want people to know that, you know, Joshua was a good kid. He was artistic. Uh, he was creative. He was fun. Um, he was awesome. And so, you know, this is Josh's legacy. And, you know, he no longer can, you know, he can't speak. Um, and so I want this organization, I want him to live on with this organization for kids in similar situations. Uh, kids who 
who are exiting foster care, who don't have supports, um, who are lost, who, you know, have these negative associations and, you know, they lack that social capital. They, they lack uh, resiliency. Uh, they lack confidence. And I want Josh's spirit um, to be engulfed in that. And I, you know, as he continues to motivate me, I want his spirit to motivate those, um, those individuals uh, that we impact. I love it. I love what you're doing. Do you have any contact with baby Joshua? Um, none whatsoever. Um, so he's staying with uh, his girlfriend's grand, well, his girlfriend's mom. It would be uh, Joshua's grandmother. And, you know, there were, we disagreed on a lot. Uh, she, you know, she wanted to change his name. Uh, you know, she didn't want anything to, you know, to do with Josh. She's like, you know, he ruined my life. Um, and I, I understand. I don't take away what, from what Josh did, what he did was wrong. Um, I, I don't support that. Um, but I, I also do say, you know, domestic violence is serious and it goes both ways. Um, but me as his uncle, I feel like, you know, I'm quite capable of being a mentor, a role model in, you know, baby Joshua's life. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, you know, unfortunately when that happened, uh, he and his sister were placed in foster care and I didn't want that to happen. You know, I wanted him to have a, a totally different life. Right. Um, from that Josh and I had. So um, you know, I I struggle every day because I want to see my nephew you know, be successful and I want to be a part of that. But I'm, unfortunately, I'm not. Are you planning on um, taking it to the judicial system in hopes to be able to have the opportunity to see him and spend time with him? Uh, um. I would love, would love that. Um, unfortunately, he was already adopted, mm. and yeah, so that's that's pretty much out the window. Um, I, you know, even when we went to court, I wasn't even acknowledged as being a potential candidate. Although I believe I, I was the most qualified. Yes. Um, yeah, I know. Sometimes when the courts are looking at younger people. They don't take everything into consideration and you being who you are. I would, I would really pray that they would, um, they would have considered that. So Dr. Well, I'm sorry, Miss Embry, Embry, your fifth grade teacher. I want to just, she sounds like the most remarkable woman. So you did have that love logical family and yeah. and she I feel as if she helped develop the love logical heart that you have within you yep. because she has shown you so much love and I know that we're getting close to you know the end of of our show here today but I, I, I love Miss Embry because <laughs> <laughs> she was an amazing woman she's, she's pretty awesome <laughs> She's helped me in so many ways um, through her, um, you know, her family. Uh, I now have a big brother, Nick, mm-hmm. uh, her husband. I, you know, I don't call many people dad, but he, he's been a father figure in my life. Uh, my grandma, mama, uh, our late, uh, her husband, Papa. I mean, <laughs> I literally, this is my family. And, you know, they've shown me so many things, it exposed me to so many uh, different opportunities, and for that, I'm 
always going to be grateful. You know, I still, I mean, spend holidays with them. This is my family. Uh, I choose from the V, um, and they, they're so awesome. I, I, I really love them. And I, Mrs. Embry is like, she's, she's so amazing. And she honestly, she played a big uh, part of my life in, in changing it. Brandon, when we talked on the phone um, in December, you truly embraced and understood Love Logical and where I was going with it right away. And that, um, that means a lot, you know, the DNA not required. So you grew up in a system where, you know, I, I, I feel as if a home for a child is, you know, it, it, it's either a house or it's a home. And usually when it is a home, it is love logical when there's non-biological relations because of the fact that you're giving that child love. You're teaching them. You're instilling the best within them. And that's what, that's what Miss Embry did for you. And that's what you're doing for all of the children that you are working with today because you have passion. Yes. Like the conviction that you yeah. have and the story that you, that you just shared with us is absolutely amazing. And I, th- I thank you. I thank you for coming on and I would like to ask you if we can um if we can actually talk again because I'd like to learn a little more about um your relationship with Miss Embry and see if she'd be willing to come on with you as well. You know, so to get uh-huh. to know that part of you because they are a part of who you are and they, th- by her giving you a chance, she allowed you to create giving Joshua a chance. Yes. Yes, ma'am. All right. So thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. And I will be contacting you very soon because I would like us to have a part two. You're the first person I've ever asked to have a yes. part two with. But I'd like to oh, have a part you, two. And because even with Dr. Alondra, you know, her being there for you. So you have your extended family that has surrounded you with so much love. And like I said, thank you for giving the love to the children within the fostering community because there are so many kids out there that need that. And, you know, people who are listening, you know, I know that it sounds like it's very hard to raise children sometimes that are non-biologically related to you, but but it's it's really not that difficult because it's just a matter of just opening up the love a little bit more. We have so many children within our fostering, you know, communities in Michigan and Indiana. You know, all over the United States, and every day there's more and more. So even if you can't foster or adopt, consider mentoring um, some of the children within the fostering system because they truly need someone to look up to, and they need someone to show what love really is, and they need to experience the love logical within you. So this is Michelle Anderson. My son, Delon Kennedy, and thank you so much, Brandon, Michael Higgins. Go to giving Joshua a chance, um, dot, dot com, correct? Correct. Okay, go to givingjoshuaachance.com. 
read Brandon's story, um, donate, help out with what he's doing, because I'm telling you, his heart truly is love logical. And he, he's doing it because he cares. You know, he's doing it because he truly cares. And if anybody has any questions for him, his email is, you want to give them your email, Brandon? Yes, yes. Um, so you can actually reach me at Joshua Daniel at givingjoshuachance.org. Um, you could also reach me at bhigg3 at iCloud.com. Um, either of these emails work, uh, feel free to shoot me any questions. Um, and I will answer the best I can. Okay, Thank and I'll, I'll repeat that. It's org. givingjoshuachance.org, and I'm, there's a contact there as well. So thank you so much. Brandon, I'm going to give you a call um, about 10 minutes from now. And everyone, thank you yes, for ma'am. listening in, and have a wonderful night. Be safe out there. Bye-bye.